Hello, and welcome back to the Emerald Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Shane Hoffman, and today I'm joined by Chris Brule. How's it going, guys? And Mojo Hill for the first time on the podcast. What's up? So it's been a while. Uh, we've been busy writing, covering sports, and of course, taking care of school and personal matters. I think the last time we put out a podcast, um, the men's and women's basketball teams had just begun conference play. So it's been about two months. Uh, we got quite busy. You know, fast forward several weeks now, we've got baseball and softball um, underway, the diamond sports. So we kind of thought this would be a good time to hop back into the podcast, um, give a little glimpse, uh, glimpse excuse me, into their seasons. Um, this episode, I'm going to talk with um, Mojo and Chris about baseball for about 10 or so minutes, and then I'm going to have Daniel and Charlie on. In the back end, we're going to talk about the softball team. So guys, a lot's happened since our last podcast, and even more has happened since the last time we saw this baseball team out there on the, um, on the field. It's been almost over a year since they played their, um, their last uh, you know, series. They had that pause. This is going to be the first full season with a new coach. Um, after last season got cut short, it's weird. We, we've talked so much about how the pause impacted sports like football and basketball, but baseball and softball, they started their seasons and then were cut short, unlike the end of the seasons being con- cut short, excuse me, for basketball. The first thing I, I kind of want to pose to you guys, um, talk about the youth of this team. It's, a, it's quite a young team with a lot of incoming freshmen and also people who just didn't get to play much in their first year last year. Um, Chris, I'll start with you on this one. With the young team, a somewhat new coach, what are some of the challenges that this team had to go through over this last offseason? Well, I think with any young team, the main thing is kind of establishing your identity. Um, I mean, that's pretty much for any sport too, but especially with baseball, you know, there's so many guys uh, in the dugout that – like the makeup a team, you got the whole pitching staff, all the hitters, and there's just a lot of guys there. So it's going to be interesting to see with this young team, uh, who's kind of, kind of step into a leadership role and, and kind of, you know, lead by example with their play and their words. Who are some guys that could be leading this young team mojo? Uh, well, I, one guy that, uh, impressed me was Isaac Aon, a, a freshman pitcher. Uh, I, and I actually have a, a feature coming out of him pretty soon but uh I don't know I just uh, from when I've talked to his dad and his coach about him and just just watching him on the mound he, he seems really mature for his age and on top of that he, he's a really good pitcher who I think is is going to impact the rotation for sure and you know he, he made a couple appearances and, and got hit around a little bit but he showed some maturity uh, coming back for second inning striking out two, uh getting out of a jam so yeah yeah that's one guy Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, so look, they, they come back, then their first series against Omaha is canceled off the bat right away. Um, Mojo, you covered their their true first series, the Seattle series this past weekend. You covered all four games. You were a trooper for us. You were out there. You had your own uh, own little press kind of suite to yourself. Looked like a great time. You got some nice weather as well, which is which has been rare here in Eugene. Um, and you wanted to talk a little bit about the offense and especially kind of the rotation on the mound, correct? Yeah, I think overall in the series, just pitching was way better than hitting. Like uh, 44 strikeouts in the series, including 16 in game four. Yeah, like, and Coach Wallace even said, like, like the, the pitchers are not to blame for uh, the two losses. It, it was really on the offense. I think uh, the offense just, they, they didn't have timely hitting. They weren't getting clutch hits. 
And there also just wasn't a lot of power. The, really, their only true power hitter in the lineup right now is uh, Gabe Matthews. Although, uh, one guy I have to mention is Josh Kastovich because he showed some surprising power this week. The shortstop, you know, second-year freshman, struggling just a, a very small sample of at-bats last year. But he had two homers and a double the series. If he can keep that going, that, that would help a lot. And another guy is Anthony Hall. I He hasn't done much. He's another second-year freshman, but he has a really sweet left-handed swing. I, I think going forward, he, he could be uh, someone who could be a threat. But I, I also think the offense really needs Kenyon Yilvan back. Uh, He's technically available right now, but he's still nursing some sort of injury. He's, he's had a lot of trouble with that. Well, yeah, he's been a, he, I mean, he's been a guy who's had injuries kind of year yeah. in and year out. He's been Oregon's kind of um, figurehead player of the program since I've been here. Um, exactly. But I feel like every, every year we're writing a piece about how he's going, you know, undergoing some new surgery or rehab for some injuries. So I absolutely. And you mentioned Gabe Matthews as well in terms of that hitting rotation and Gabe Matthews, another one of those veteran guys. Um, Chris, did you have any specific takeaways? This was an interesting series in that they start off really slow and then have that crazy ninth inning in the first game it was that Thursday, I believe um, where they, they, they end up winning four to three. Um, and then, the, then it's been a mi mixed bag since then. Um, I'm wondering what you, you kind of take away from that, Chris. Um, well, I don't think it's necessarily surprising for a team, especially in baseball with such a long season. Uh, it's common for a team the first time out to kind of try and get a feel for things. You know, I remember when I was playing baseball back in way back in the day, you know, there, you'd go into a series and you kind of have an idea about your opponent and where you kind of stack up with them. But it doesn't always turn out that way like that you expect because baseball is so unpredictable so I, I think you know they split the series it could have been worse um and they're going to face a lot of tough competition down the road so I, I think they they're going to use this weekend to to learn some things and kind of kind of pick up in there it, it did seem like they were you know maybe kind of picking up some steam they win that that first game and they come out you know six to zero shut Seattle out in the second game of the weekend um, but then from there, it's a, it's a loss two to four and then a loss four to eight in a game that from what Mojo is telling me, and I'll let you tell the story in a second, Mojo, had a lot of tension, especially on the Oregon side. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I, I think I think Waz was a, a little frustrated after that first loss. You know, they they followed two and one, but but that that was not as bad. He you know, I remember in uh, post game that day, he said, you know, I told the team just get some rest and uh, we have a big game tomorrow. And I, I can tell he really, really wanted to win that game because, you know, you win that last game, you won, you won three out of four. That, like that's, that can be considered a successful series. Uh, yeah, I, I could just tell after game four, he was not happy. He, he spent a good 15, maybe even 20 minutes on the field with the team after the game. Just, you know, and I couldn't really hear it because I was so far away. He was out in center field. I was all the way up in the press box. But I, I heard a couple words like disgusting and ugly all the way from from up in the press box and then in the post game I you know I asked him because the team did have 16 strikeouts in game four I, I asked him kind of you know is that a silver lining and and he kind of gives me a blunt answer he goes no and, and then he, he corrects himself pretty quickly he you know he sort of apologizes and and but he does uh vents his frustration about how you know the, the objective is to win the game and and they didn't do that and they, they need to improve that and he said uh, you know, they're going to improve on that as coaches as well. They, he said the coaches didn't do a good enough job of getting the hitters in a right mindset. 
It's a great nugget. And it's, it's kind of a, I guess one of the luxuries for us as reporters in a year like this is without fans, we still have had access, albeit, you know, some limited access, but especially at, you know, sports like, especially basketball, really, we've been able to hear and see more. And so I think certainly in our reporting, we've been able to pick up more of those things we, we wouldn't have normally noticed, heard, seen. Um, I do want to talk about expectations, though. You're saying, you know, if they had maybe gotten one more of these um, games, it would have been considered a, a successful series, and they split, which, you know, is, is fine. Uh, they're headed out to, to face UC Santa Barbara, um, ranked number 15th in the nation this coming weekend. So, Chris, I'll start with you, and then we'll go to Mojo. What are you looking for in terms of improvements this coming weekend? Um, and then beyond this weekend, where do you guys see this Oregon baseball team slotting in in the conference when it's all said and done? Because this has not been a, a, a good program the last few years. Really, since I've been here, I've been here for three years, they've been kind of um, near the bottom. Let's, let's put it nicely, near the bottom of the Pac-12 every year. Um, and and in, a, in a conference that's had some, some super, super talented teams in the last few years. So, Chris, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, starting with the first part, uh, UC Santa Barbara is a very tough team, and you, you see a lot of that in the West Coast. You know, the Pac-12 is a pretty strong conference. Um, you know, I had a I had a conversation with former Duck David Peterson. He he really made sure to to hammer home to me how confident and how confident he is in Coach Waz. And uh, you know, of course, like last year was cut short, so this year is going to be like the real first true test of his Oregon program against the Pac-12. Um, you know, after UC Santa Barbara, you got Oregon State and Arizona State back-to-back, -back, and, and those are not easy opponents by any means. Um, but going into this weekend, uh, I, I think you would like to see the pitching continue to have that success because I think that's something that you can rely on down the stretch. Um, I think we've seen time and time again, and especially the pros, I don't, I don't know – so much about college, but definitely the pros, uh, the pitching at the end of the season is, is what wins you ball games. So uh, I think stay, uh, stay alert. Uh, we'll watch out for the pitchers and how they do this weekend. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, despite the flaws uh, series, I, I do think it's a better team uh, compared to the last few years. Uh, I think it's just a deeper team all around, both in the pitching and the hitting. Uh, I do think they need Yovan back. I, I do think uh, some guys really need to step up. Um, yeah, but, you know, I, I can tell Waz is, you know, he's a passionate guy. And, uh, you know, you'd rather see him be mad after a loss than uh, indifferent. You know, uh, yeah, he, he said the objective is to win the game. And, you know, he doesn't care about the high strikeouts, although it does show that, you know, they, they have some talented arms, guys who can strike guys out. Um, yeah, the, I just think the main thing is the offense needs to step up. Uh, you know, he he said that uh, he saw some power arms, but uncompetitive at bats, whereas UCSB had power pitching and competitive at bats. So I, I think the main thing is uh, going to be for the bats to step up uh, this, this next series. You mentioned it. Talented team, but it's early, right? It's early, a new coach, a weird year, and a young team. This team clearly needs some time, and they'll have that. Um, but this will be a very, very challenging weekend. Um, we will have coverage for that coming to you uh, a little bit from Mojo and some other writers as well. Um, it, we will be doing away gamers because we can't go there, obviously. Um, but I think that'll do it for the baseball section. Um, Chris and Mojo, thank you for joining me. And in a second, I will be back with Charlie and Daniel to discuss softball.
And we're back. I just finished talking baseball with Chris and Mojo, and now I'm joined by Charlie Gearing. How's it going, guys? And Daniel Freese. What's going on, everybody? So, just like we started the baseball segment, I want to take a look back. It's been a while since we've seen softball, and now they've been playing for the better part of the last month or so. They started, I believe, February 12th, so it's been just under a month. They've played 10 games. We're going to go over some of those games. Uh, we're going to talk about some players to watch, some expectations. Before we do that, um, the softball team was 22-2 and two before the shutdown last season. And I was talking to Chris and Mojo about how weird it was to have the season stop so early on where, you know, we have football that, that had finished. Basketball got cut short at the end, but, but baseball and softball had just began and then it got cut, cut short. I want to know just quickly your perspectives on, on what it, it's got to be like. I mean, and, and Daniel, we should mention, you currently play baseball. You're on the club team here. So what can you imagine some of the difficulties being in, in getting so ready for a season, having it cut short, having to you know, kind of do this whole roundabout thing, and then you're back and you're performing at this high level? I'll go, I'll go first with you, Daniel. I mean, it's got to be frustrating for the players, like you said, who just practice. And they don't just start practicing in the winter. Like, they practice. They start the first week of school. Like, this is an all-year grind for them. And I think the, the saddest part was that it was right before Pac-12 play last year. And, you know, that's when things really get good, especially with how good the Pac-12 is. So, like you said, it's frustrating just to prepare that long and look forward. Last last year's Pac-12 play was going to be fantastic. I mean, it's great this year, but it's just going to be just as good last year. So, it's got to be frustrating for a player to put in all that time and all that effort and really, like, the meteor schedule is taken away from you. It's, it's got to be difficult. They love – I mean, don't get me wrong, they love playing, but – I, I can imagine that they would much rather be playing, you know, the UCLA's and the Stanford's rather than the Montana's and the Weber States in the beginning of the year. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Well said, Daniel. I think, I think things just get thrown so out of whack um, in terms of the practice schedule, the off season. Um, and then to just get thrown into the season like this, um, obviously exciting for them that, uh, that they get a chance to play at all. You know um, there was a point here where nobody really knew if, if, we were going to have sports. Um, but yeah, definitely unfortunate ending to last year, uh, going 22 and two and looking really promising and talented. Um, but here we are this year, things are looking really exciting. I think a good place to start is, is maybe with Haley Cruz. Daniel, you wrote a feature about her for our duck season, um, uh, kind of website conglomerate with all these articles. We don't have a print edition going out, but we have kind of a series of articles that will be posted uh, right when this podcast comes out. And you wrote about Haley Cruz and her decision to ultimately come back. And that was given to all athletes this year. Um, the men's, not the men's team, but the baseball team, excuse me, I'm used to talking about basketball here. Um, they had a lot of people come back and they also have a, a lot of freshmen. So they have a young team. And this 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 softball team is is a mix, but Haley Cruz has been the constant. Talk a little bit about Haley Cruz's development through her time here, and then what she means to to this this iteration of the team, Daniel. Yeah, obviously, I mean, I talk about it in my piece, but since her freshman year, she's come such a long way. I mean, I think freshman year she had four starts, which you know we see a lot of freshmen now. This especially this year's team, there's a lot of freshmen who are starting, but as a freshman, she didn't play that much. And I think over each year, she just got obviously so much better. And last year was really going to be the season for her to show what Oregon was all about. I mean, like we just talked about, but 
with the season getting cut short, she mentioned that she wanted to leave the program better than she found it, which I think was a big decision, her wanting to come back and basically prove to everybody what she already knows and that, that Oregon softball is a force to be reckoned with. But um, what she means to this team, I mean, she's, she's the heartbeat of the team. She's the leadoff hitter. She's their team leader in RBIs right now. Um, she's obviously a leader, her and I think the other super, they call them super seniors on the team, Samaria Diaz. And like I said, with how young of a team you mentioned it, they have a weird mix of like underclassmen and then they have a few seniors and a few super seniors. So when it really starts to get to the home stretch of the season and these underclassmen aren't used to obviously the home stretch because they didn't play last year, um, she's going to be really huge for the team just as far as, you know, keep pushing them forward because she knows what it takes and not a lot of people on the team besides her know what it takes. So not just on the field, she's going to be huge, but off the field, if they want to go far, she's going to be huge. And I think she will be. I think Melissa Lombardi, she praises her for being a great leader. So I won't expect her to not, you know, I'll, I'll expect her to do a great job. That's, I'll leave it at that. Charlie, I'm wondering if, if you've, if anyone's caught your eye early in terms of someone who was maybe on the younger side and not someone who's going to live up to the same kind of career arc as, as a Haley Cruz, but someone who has either caught your eye early or just looks poised for, I guess, you know, I don't know if a breakout season is the right word, but someone who, who looks ready to have a big year. Yeah. Uh, like, like Daniel mentioned, um, this team is, is full of freshmen. Um, full of young talent, but one person that really, really catches my eye is uh, Alyssa Brito. She's a freshman shortstop. She's already gone yard four times. Um, she's got 10 RBIs. I think that's second on the team. Um, she's killing it. It's, it. it's real impressive. Let's, let's talk about their, their first 10 games, but I want to highlight the UCLA um, games, the pair that they played um, just, just the other day. Now we're recording this on March 2nd, um, they beat number one UCLA on February 28th, uh, three to one. And then they come back and lose nine to three. And I want to know, um, I know you guys didn't watch every second of those, but I want to know um, just kind of from doing some research and watching a little bit what the difference was in terms of, and Charlie, I'll go to you here first. The difference was between pulling off that win and then, you know, I don't want to call it a disappointing loss because they are such a great team, but, but losing um, in, in, in kind of a landslide in that second second head, uh, second head game of the doubleheader there? Well, there's the obvious. You know, they, they had a game in between that, that was pretty competitive with Utah. Um, but I think the most noticeable difference between the two games is the, the pitching. I mean, Rookie Nez is – she's been really good all year. They've, the best softball they've played has been with her on the mound. Um, she's got 46 strikeouts already. She was super keen that first game against UCLA – held an only one run, obviously, um, through seven innings uh, pitching. And, and she's, she's 4-0. Um, but then, you know, the next, the next game, um, it's, it's slipping my mind who, who was on the mound instead, but it was definitely a noticeable difference um, in, in terms of the play defensively. Yeah, um, going off that, that pitcher, I think it was Jordan Dale was the pitcher in the second game. Um, obviously, like, like Shane said, it's going to be tough to take two from a team like UCLA, considering that they're the first ranked team in the country. But something noticeable that um, I've obviously listened to a lot of interviews with Melissa Lombardi for that article about Haley Cruz. She said that something about this team, and it may not have shown in that loss against UCLA when Dale didn't pitch that good, but 
something about this team that she says that she likes that she hasn't really had in a while with previous teams is pitching depth. So they have obviously, you know, Yanez and Samaria Diaz, they're both nasty. But then after that, they have two freshmen, Breedlove and Kleinmerks. I might be botching her name, but they're both really good starters out of the back end. And she said that that's going to be huge when it comes time for, you know, regionals and super regionals, because that was really, and I'm going back a few years here to about 2017 and 2018, the last time they were in the College World Series, that was really their falling point was pitching depth. As the season got later, they didn't really have as many pitchers to go out there that they can depend on. So yes, Jordan Dale and some of the other young freshmen haven't been, you know, lights out so far, but I think it's good that they have this depth for the long run and they'll figure it out as the season goes on. So it's, it's, it looks promising right now. Yeah, and, and I think pitching depth is, is so key for any team, any season, especially in a season like this, when you're not only worried about potential injuries, obviously injuries aren't a big deal, but COVID and, and just health reasons and whatnot. They started 9-1, I, I should mention, and their only loss was that one to UCLA. Uh, the Cal Poly games got canceled, but they're looking at a slate coming up with two games against Portland State, two against Boise State. Um, a pair against Nevada, and then a few more Pac-12 games sprinkled in there before they really get into the kind of depth of Pac-12 season. Daniel, I know you want to talk about the Pac-12 as a whole. Um, historically, um, Pac-12 softball is, is a strong conference. Um, who are the teams outside of UCLA that Ducks fans specifically should be looking for? And then going off that, and for you as well, Charlie, where do you guys see the Ducks slotting in when it's all said and done because they were so good at the start of last season and they're off to another good start this year. Well, the other teams to look out for besides UCLA are um, UW, uh, UA, University of Arizona, then Arizona State. So the preseason rankings had UCLA, UW, and Arizona all in the top five. And they had Oregon, I think, at nine or eight. So they had them better in the preseason. I don't think that ASU, I don't think that Arizona and UW are better than Oregon. I still think that Oregon's a top two team in the Pac-12, but um, obviously they form, obviously they're going to be really good competition for them. Um, I made a note that the season really starts on April 9th when it's four against UCLA and then four against UW, four against Stanford, four against Arizona State, and then four against Arizona. That's really going to be when their season starts. I can't see them dropping a lot of games until then considering their opponents. So that's really going to be, I think it's full five straight weekends. It's going to be a tough stretch for them. And as far as um, you said, the second question was expectations for them, correct? I can yeah, see them like, yeah. I think that them and UCLA are just going to be neck and neck all year. It's, I think that those are the two clear best teams. A lot of people forget that last year when Oregon was 22 and two, UCLA, I think was 24 and one, like they were really not far behind. So these are, I think, the two best teams in the Pac-12. Obviously, they could be two of the top five teams in the country, and I think it'll be down to those two in the end. I can't tell you right now who it's going to be, but I like um, the leadership that Oregon has with their two super seniors, as they call them. I think that will help them when it comes down to the home stretch. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, Daniel. I think you know th this season's going to be – just an absolute blast. Um, and it's going to be neck and neck five teams already, almost half the conference in the top 25. Um, this Friday, we're going to get a pretty good idea. Um, UCLA and, and Arizona are playing. Um, what a game that's going to be. Two top five teams, um, two very highly ranked teams nationally. Uh, and, and 
the highest ranked teams in the Pac-12 uh, scoring off. And I think I agree with Daniel on this. I think that Oregon is, is, is right there with them. I think the senior leadership is there. And I think, I think you're going to see Oregon hang in a lot better than, you know, nine and three. Um, I, I think you're going to see a lot closer with UCLA later on, um, you know, as they figure out that pitching uh, across the board. Is, is there something that you guys maybe worry about as, as, a, as a potential to derail Oregon season, just a weakness, maybe. I mean, is it the pitching? Is it is it something else? Is it some of the the, the youth, the depth? What what could we maybe point to there? One thing could be, and this is new with COVID this year, but three game series are just not a thing for softball anymore. They're four game series now, so that's going to be a real testament. We talked about their depth. That's going to be a real testament to their depth, to their depth. So. I would imagine, you know, Yanez and Samari will be going there those first few days. But by the time those Saturday and Sunday games roll around, when they probably have to go with a few of their younger pitchers, that's going to be the real testament. So if anything, I think the scheduling could be the biggest problem for them. I, I, that's a great point, Daniel. And, and before we wrap up here, because we've got to get out of here, um, it's so important to remember that these are all temporarily on the schedule. These are hypothetical games, series. We've seen it with, with football. We've seen it with basketball. We've already seen it with the diamond sports. This year is so unpredictable, and it doesn't look like we're going to have much change in terms of that unpredictability anytime soon. So you have these four-game series. You have these stacked schedules. They could be drastically cut down. So every win early on is crucial. That's going to be it from us here. Um, at the Emerald Sports Podcast. Uh, make sure to check out our duck season coverage, those pieces I was talking about up on the website, um, dailyemerald.com. Um, this will be coming out on Thursday, March 4th. And so those will also be up that same morning. Um, make sure to give us our Twitter a follow uh, at ODE Sports and stay updated with our game coverages on our website. Uh, and finally, stay tuned for some basketball podcasts that are going to be coming soon as we enter the postseason there and probably some more softball and baseball coverage. Thanks, guys.